open a Bible or a phone to Mark chapter 10. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning. We are, if you are um, new or you're visiting, we're in a, a series at the moment called, it's the side, Gospel Culture, How Gospel Doctrine Shapes Life and Community. And what we've been looking at now for um, the fifth week is how, how what we believe shapes the kind of people that we are and the kind of church that we are. Um, there are, I repeat the, th- the same kind of intro every week because it bears repetition. Um, it, it's, it's insufficient to believe a whole bunch of, or to say you believe a whole bunch of stuff and live in a different way. Um, evidently, the way that you live is evidence of what you actually truly believe. So you can say, I believe a whole bunch of things to be true and functionally live in a different way it discredits what you say you actually believe. And so what we've been looking at through the weeks is how church, because every church has a culture. Uh, every church has a culture. Our church has a culture. We're both looking at what our culture is like and what we want our culture to be like. Um, and we want our culture to be centered around the gospel. But how is the gospel? Gospel is not just a, a set of beliefs. Gospel um, ekes its way and seeps its way into the life and the feel of a church. So what is our church feel like? What does it functionally look like on the, on the ground, in the day-to-day, in the relationships that we have? And so we've looked at a few different weeks. I'm not going to re- bother recapping those. You can find those uh, online if you've missed them or if you want to have a re-listen to them. And what I want us to look at this morning is the culture of missional community, the culture of, of missional community. The, the Bible uses um, quite a few different metaphors to describe the church. Um, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are some of the more common ones that the Bible talks about the church as a body um, with different uh, parts of it, different kind of members is the word, and not every part is obviously the same. Some of us are, to use the imagery, ears, and some are feet, and some are hands, and of course there's no one part of the body can say to the other part of the body, look, thanks for coming, we've got this covered, we don't need you, I'm more important than you. Every part of your body even though it's not particularly evident to us, serves a purpose and plays a role uh, in our functioning and in our health. And so that's the one metaphor. The another metaphor is the building. Um, the church is a building. The church is living stones. The church is a temple. Uh, we come together. As we come together, we represent the fullness of the presence of God almost. Um, the church is described as the bride of Christ. Uh, that collectively we are together the bride. He is the bridegroom and we are the bride. He has set his affection on us and entered into covenant with the church, an, an eternal covenant, and tethered us too. And so there's a union between the bridegroom and the bride that's eternal. And um, we're a bride and he's made us beautiful. I mean, I always say that that's the best, you know, often for many men and women, let me not get into trouble here, men and women, that's the pinnacle of of. You know, your life, like the wedding day, you never look better than that. Uh, I think you should take less pictures on your wedding day, to be honest, because most people look unrecognizable a few years later. And like looking at the pictures, like, who are these people here? Oh, that's, that's you guys, you know. You should take pictures like a few years into marriage when you look normal. Those things will last. They've got longer legs. You look that way for longer. Anyway, that's not in my notes. Um, the Bible describes this as a flock of sheep. A flock of sheep, that's a wonderful metaphor because if you know anything about sheep, there's not a sermon on sheep, but it's, it, it, it's a very good descriptor of us. 
and him as our, Jesus as our shepherd were described as branches connected to a vine. We're described as a priesthood and on and on and on and goes. But what I want us to look at today is the metaphor of a family, the metaphor of a family. And um, before we, well, let me, let me just say this, that I think the gospel culture, the gospel itself creates a new community, a new family called the church. You have, you were born into a family, you have a biological family, or you were adopted into a family, you have an earthly family. And there is a wide range of families represented here. Um, good ones, medium average ones, and awful ones. Um, some of you have wonderful relationships to your family. Some of you are in church still because you're trying to recover or recover in from relationships in your family. Family is a very complicated thing. And the church is a new kind of family. And what I want us to start at, we're going to look at a few things relating to family. I want us to look at the origins of the family of the church. Now, I just want to say this, like, we're not the kind of church where you get some churches where when they talk family language, it gets a little bit incestuous, for want of a better word. It's like, if you're with us, you can never leave us with a family, you know, like like the mafia kind of family, like once you're in, you can never leave. Um, that's not the kind of church we are. We're not that kind of a family, you know, you can join and you can go and if you leave our family, our expression of the family, we'll talk to you if we see you somewhere else. It's not like you're dead to us kind of thing. Um, uh, but I do want to mine together with you the riches of what the Bible talks about when it talks about the family. And the first thing is the, 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 the origins almost of this new kind of family. Let's have a look at Mark 10. And then we'll pause and pray as we read the scriptures as always and then dive into it. We're going to look at a few different verses. So you're going to have to... Uh, flip around a little bit, but we'll start in Mark 10. Let's have a look at verse 29 to 31. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Truly I tell you, Jesus said, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be lost and the last first. Let's pray um, together. Father, as we, as we look and listen to your word, we ask again, as we do a week in and week out, that you would show yourself faithful again to, to graciously send a Holy Spirit amongst us to teach us, to open up our eyes, to soften our hearts, to, to reveal the, the, the spirit of revelation amongst us that we would be able to see what we need to see and hear what, what would be good and life-giving and transformative for our souls, for us individually and for us collectively as a body of believers. We, we need your help. We look to you with expectancy that you, our living God, our loving Father would speak to us. We're not here just to make up the numbers because you've got nothing else to do. Uh, we long to hear you speak life-giving words to us and to shape us and transform us through your word. And so we look to you now for you to do that work. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 
Jesus makes it clear that it costs some people a lot to join the family of God. I, I, I would agree with you if you're already looking at that text and arguing and saying, this sounds very hectic, especially for a Sunday morning. Why are you picking this verse? You know, do you have to leave? Do you have to leave your mom and your brothers and your sister and your house and your kids and everything? Like when you join the family of the church, you cut ties with your natural earthly family. And I think I'm probably repeated multiple times, so you don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that when you join God's family, you use it overs cadovers for your earthly family. It's like, see you later. I've got this new family I'm a part of. And they won't let me talk to you. And they're much cooler than you. And whatever. And this is my eternal family. You're just an earthly family. And so you're temporary. This is eternal. So I'm leaning into this one because it's going to last longer than you lot. And I'm not saying that. I, I think the Bible says a lot about how you should be within your earthly family. Honoring your father and mother and loving and children being submissive to their parents. Um, it says that in here. Promise you. Um, and honoring them and loving them and all this kind of stuff. And families being, earthly families being on mission together because they love Jesus. There's a lot that it says about that. But I'm talking about this new family called the church. But Jesus makes it clear that it does cost some people more. And some, it costs them everything to join the new family. Because this is a different kind of family. And we don't experience it that much in our culture. I'd admit that. I mean, I'm looking at you. Most of you, your family haven't cut ties with you because you've become a Christian. They haven't had a funeral for you because you've become a follower of Jesus, that you are dead to them. But in large parts of the world, that is standard practice. For people who become believers in Jesus, the family will hold a funeral for them because they are dead to that earthly family. Okay, you've chosen Jesus. You're joining that crowd. You're dead to us. You leave this religion, join that religion. You are out. Goodbye. I'm not your mother. This is not your father. These are not your brothers. This is not your home. Go and you've joined that new thing. They can look after you. That is the lived reality of many of our brothers and sisters around the world. Now, it may not be yours. And you may be thinking, that's hectic. If I had to do that, I wouldn't join the church. That's too much. Like, I love my family. I love my parents, my brother, this is my house. Like, if, if following Jesus cost me that, I wouldn't follow Jesus. To which, I would say you need to keep reading. Because if you elevate allegiance and acceptance with your earthly family above what it may cost you to join Jesus' family, you've inverted the order. You've missed what the gospel is wanting to create in you and amongst you in the family of God. Jesus says, people leave. There are many who leave. They leave. He says, there is no one who has left mothers, sisters, houses, fields, families. They've left. They've left it. So there's a leaving, but there's also a receiving. He says, look, there's, there's many who've had to leave and, and don't be misled to think they go without. When the church functions properly as the family of God, those who have left receive. You leave that and you receive in the new family of God. You receive new mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, houses. I know some of you are looking at me thinking, what are you, where is this going? Well, in the, in, the, in the church, in the family of God, it's meant to function. That sitting next to you and amongst us here, 
this here. This is the local expression of the church of the family of God. And sitting in this room, you are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And the, the Bible, we're going to get to it, instructs me to relate to some of you as fathers and mothers, some of you as brothers and sisters, and to treat some of you as like my children in the faith. Okay? I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible and we're going to get to it. So look around the room. These are your eternal these are your eternal brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers. This is an eternal family. If you're a believer in Jesus, you better get used to some of the people, at least in the room. I don't know what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like. I don't know how spread out we're going to be and whether you're like, I did earth with that crowd. I want to do eternity with a different church and different crowd. I'm done. I just made it over the finish line with that church. I know we're in heaven together, but Lord, please move me to like, the other side of heaven, <laughs> I'm done. That was tough being with them. I don't know how it's going to pan out, but the people who are believers in Jesus in this room are your eternal family in God. And I think Jesus makes it clear that it's not just an eternal thing. He says, now in this life, if you've left that in this life, you will receive a hundred times more what you had to give up to become part of the family of God. So you receive mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, houses, at an exponential return to what you ever had to give up. I mention that because some people think it's so tough to follow Jesus. You have to give up so much stuff. If you ask, I've had the privilege to travel a little bit as a missions pastor and just with church stuff. If you ask people in other parts of the world who've had to give up everything to follow Jesus, if it's worth it, they will tell you a million times, Absolutely, that what they have found in the family of God is exponentially more than they ever found in their earthly family. Because you, this is a different connection, and you receive a whole new family. I mean, I only have one mom. I only ever had one dad. I have one brother, one sister, and actually my family is a bit weird. That's it for my family. There's no aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, and such. Family gathering is very small. We can fit around a little table at Wimpy convenient not like this portuguese greek families it's very small but in the church i have received i don't know how many fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters it's exponential my new family in god and the same is true of you but not only do people leave not only do they receive there's a new responsibility there's a new requirement for the family of god that that for those who've left we serve them and we minister to them and we love them as a new family. If they've had to leave homes, families, fields, we become their new family in God. We become a new house where they can just rock up. And ah, my house is your house. You're welcome here. Treat this place like your home. I know some of you are thinking, mm. not so much. Some people are thinking, well, I've never really experienced that. That's not my reality. I've been a part of this church for a while. Or I've been part of other churches. I, I wouldn't say I've experienced the church like that. And to that, I would say, you're probably, you're probably right. And I think there are a couple of reasons that are frontrunners for that. I think our Western individualism totally inverts what the Scripture clearly teaches about what we're supposed to be as a healthy, functioning family. We think it's Jesus and me, and then I attend a church, and I get what I need, and I give a little bit. Uh, but it's really more about me. I don't. We we have lost 
in our Western individualism, the sense of the communal nature of the family of God that we, God has brought us into. It's not the same in other parts of the world. They get this way more than, than we would in our context here. And I think another, another difficulty is that for most of the people in this room, there's more affluence, there's less need. And that's a, that's a contributing factor. The more affluent you are, the more you can isolate yourself from needing other people. Um, not just financially, but emotionally and psychologically and relationally. It's like, I've got what I need. Like, I don't, I don't need to be part of this thing. It's cool. And I w- I w- I'm just wanting to push our buttons a little bit here and remind you that, that the, the, the truest family you have is your eternal family. The truest family you have is your eternal family in God. It's not that, again, not that you, it's overs for your earthly family. I love my family. But there will come a time where they cease to be my family. But you, Lot, my brothers and sisters in Jesus, will eternally be my family. Having traveled a little bit across language barriers, one of the things that's been fascinating to me is experiencing the common bond that believers can have that transcends language even. I've been in multiple prayer meetings where there has been no common understanding of language. I remember one in Mozambique where a whole bunch of us were English. Many of the, actually the majority of the prayer meeting was Portuguese and neither understood anything of the other language. But man, did we pray up a storm? And there was no, no, no interpreting going on. You know, yeah, I mean, who needs interpretation in a prayer meeting? That is just like, it's really hard work. But the sense of the Spirit of God, that like I, these are my brothers and sisters. We are talking to the same God. We share the same Spirit. I don't understand a thing of what you're saying, except like every now and then, like they would say the word for God or whatever, whatever is in Portuguese. I'd be like, oh yeah, cool. Like, but that, that was, I mean, that was the extent of it. But you can sense in your Spirit there is a connection between us, a familial connection through the Spirit of God that transcends language, culture national identity, all of those things. It's deeper because it's eternal and it comes from one and the same spirit. And it's beautiful. So Jesus speaks about how this, what it costs to become part of this new family. It's not everything, but there are some of the things there. We leave things, we receive, and we provide things for each other. But the, Paul particularly talks about the relationships in this new family. Okay, you become part of. You've left, uh, or you've received these things in the new family of God. But how are we supposed to conduct life as a new family? Well, when he's writing a letter to his his young pastor protege Timothy in First Timothy, this is what he says: First Timothy three. If you're not taking verses fourteen and fifteen, I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be late, I've written. Um, I've written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is what? Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. I mean, there is so much. There's a whole sermon in there on what the church is. The church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. The church, it's the church of the living God. It's not an assembly of people. It is an assembly of people, but it is the, it is the together presence of the living God amongst us. Are you, are, you, are you aware of that? This is not just a, a gathering of random strangers or even friends. This is 
the presence of the living God amongst his people that comes together week by week and then we scatter to live life together on mission. The church is a beautiful thing. But Paul describes to Timothy as God's household. He says you're a household because you're a family and there are ways in which you should conduct yourselves. There's lots of scripture. We don't have time to go through it all, but there's, there's a lot of biblical teaching and instruction on how do you live as a new family because we, we learn good things from our earthly families and we learn dysfunctional things from our earthly families. Some of you are like, amen into that. You know, hopefully you've learned more good than dysfunction, but you know, like I said, there's a spectrum of things. Let me give you some of the ones that I feel particularly provoked to focus on this morning. Second Timothy, um, this is his second letter that he writes to Timothy. Paul says this in Second Timothy 5 verse 1 to 2, Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. We used to love this verse when we did the youth ministry um, because the whole thing of like treating your sisters in the youth group, uh, treating the w- girls in the youth group as sisters in God with all purity, that lands on young guys like a ton of bricks if you do it properly. It's like, listen, yeah, Machana, before you start to saddle up and think of what you can do and how you can, so, let me tell you, that is your sister in Jesus. And your father is watching, you know, <laughs> scare the, the Jesus out of them, you know, like, I think we've, we now onto different tactics, but that's how we used to do it back in the day. But there's still an element of truth in it. And as we relate to one another, especially if you're single, um, we are, you are brothers and sisters if you're of the same age, especially dating age. I'm going to talk about a couple of things here. I want to talk about honoring all the ages. I want to talk about honoring all the ages and generations in a church. Our church is fairly young-ish. I think it's I think it's changing a bit, but we have a youngish church. Average age is quite young. Lots of babies in the place, young families, a few gray-haired people. And one of the things that can happen in a young church is that it starts to um, exponentially embody what you also see in the culture these days, which I don't want to use the word ageism, but it is kind of in that way. It's like we celebrate the young. And the old, you had your time. You had your time. It's good. We've got it now. You've handed over the baton and we are running. You know, we make jokes about old people and they, you know, they talk about the WhatsApp um, and, and they don't know how to use Insta and all this kind of, they can't register for anything that the church do online. You know, they register like six times to attend one course. It's like, we've got it. We know you're coming. Thanks so much. You know, like we, old people struggle with technology. We think that because they struggle with, some parts of the modern world that their effectiveness in the family is reduced. We've got to chill with the youngsters. We've got the energy. And we know what we're doing. We understand the world. And the Bible actually has the complete opposite take on that. In Job 12 verse 12, it says this, Wisdom is found with the elderly, and understanding comes with long life. Wisdom is found with the elderly. Proverbs 20 verse 29 says this, The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is gray hair. I'm feeling more splendor. Splendor is 
week by week. Um, but the Bible has a way of honoring the gray heads and the wise ones and recognizing that any, any culture or any church that will honor and receive wisdom and input from the gray heads is actually better. And every church family, I would advocate years ago, this is behind the scenes information, we looked at the church and we were like, man, we are way too young. This feels like an overblown youth group. It honestly did. It felt like there was just youngsters here, lots of energy in the place, but no older people. And we started systematically praying, Lord, would you send us some people with gray hair? Literally, please, will you send us some people with gray hair? Anyone north of 50 will take them. Even if they wander in and they look around and think, this is a youth group, who am I going to be friends with here? We said, just try and get them to stay. Because we need older people, because any healthy functioning family needs parents and grandparents. If you let the youngsters run the place, you've let the lunatics take over the asylum. You know, I'm, you know I've, that's an exaggeration. But you, you, can't, you need a healthy family. You need all the generations. This is it. All the generations feeling like they've got something to give. And giving. So not just feeling like, I, I, I have so much to give. I wish someone would ask me. They're actually doing the thing. I don't want to provoke you if you have gray hair. Like not early gray, you know. Some people go gray early. I'm talking about the, the elderly amongst us. <laughs> the north of 50s. Let me draw a dividing line here for you, Axe. We're close to 50. Okay, north of 60, maybe. <laughs> That's quite low. Some of you are thinking, cheers, I'm right there. If you feel old, older, older than the rest of the church, what is your ministry amongst us? What is your ministry amongst us? What are you doing to impart the wisdom that God has put into you over the years? How are you expending the energy that you do still have? Because there is a lot of life in the gray heads amongst our church. What are you pouring into the next generation? Because the younger generation need that. It's not that they're completely clueless, but the Bible makes it clear that yeah, they need the wisdom and they need the parenting from the previous generation. They know more of the faithfulness of God. They know more of how to navigate sin's struggles and life's complexities. They have a testimony. Let me ask all of us. I think it's helpful for you to think of yourself in one of um, the three categories, so relating across the generations. Um, who in the church, and this is obviously an age-dependent thing in some ways, who in the church are your parents? Who do you relate to in this church, in the body of Christ? I understand it's not always in the same local body, but it should be where we can. Who, who do you look to as like a parent, like a, a father or mother spiritual figure? in the church. If you don't have anyone like that, you're missing out. You're missing out. Who do you treat as brothers and sisters? So who are you brothering and sistering with? Brothering and sistering is a lot of fun and it's chaotic at the same time. You know? Just think if you were not an only child, think of growing up with your brothers and sisters. They were your best friends and your worst enemies within hours of each other. That's what happens with brothers and sisters. It also happens in churches. But who are you doing life together with? Who are you sharing? Who's at the same kind of level age-wise and spiritually with you? 
And then who are your children in the faith? Who are you pouring into and saying, hey, follow me. I've been down that road. Let me, let me help you. Let me, let me pass on what I have learned from God. I think in a healthy church, everyone's thinking about themselves like that. They're thinking, I need, I need top-down, further down the road input shaping my life. I need to brother and sister together with others, lock arms and share the same struggles. We're in the same place, same stage of life, same difficulties. And who am I passing on? Some people are saying like, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't have much to pass on. I, I would counter two things there. You have more than you think. And if you don't know how, then put your hand up and ask somebody to help you, to know how to pass on um, spiritual wisdom and godliness. Um, because that's how the church is meant to relate. But I hope you hear my provocation again. I don't want the gray heads. Maybe they were nodding off there and they're back now with me. I want to, I want to remind you again. What is your ministry amongst us? What is your ministry? If you don't have it, then find somebody. Come and talk to me. Because the healthiest churches I know have found a way to mobilize those with wisdom amongst them for their benefit and their blessing. Not only is this multi-generational um, thing happening in the church, you also see in the scriptures that the church is a united family that's on mission together. A united family on mission. Let me give you two scriptures quickly back to back here. Jesus speaking in John 13, 34 and 35. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, love for one another. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think I've mentioned this a couple of times over the weeks. How does the world know that you belong to Jesus? It's because you love God's family. It's not. Jesus doesn't say, because he says this a couple of times, he doesn't say, it's because you say you believe a whole bunch of things, because you own a Bible, because you attend a church. It doesn't say that. It says that you have a love for the body of Christ. And that doesn't, because that doesn't come from you. It comes from the Spirit of God that unites you to God's family and gives you a love for a people who were not naturally your family. That is the glorious mystery of the church. That in this room are brothers and sisters in Christ who would never normally be part of a family. I mean, some of you get along better than others. You know, some of us click together more. We enjoy each other. Some of us, we're a bit more hard work with each other. That's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He says you love one another because you've been brought into like an unnatural family. And it's a miracle brought about by the Spirit of God. But the world will know that you're a disciple of Jesus because you love, not because you say, but because you actually love the body of Christ. John 17, Jesus praying for us, verses 22 and 23, I have given them the glory you have given me. Okay, that's a whole sermon in that line. So that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. Union with Christ, so that they may be completely one. Why? so that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. Why does Jesus pray for the unity of the church? It's because the mission of Jesus 
and world evangelization, if you want, is dependent on the love that believers have for one another. I know that sounds, when I really first understood this, I was like, but surely we need to have the right answers and arguments and you know, apologetics. Some people are apologetics people. It's like, you need to be able to answer every question that people have about faith and counter and be better and sharper than Dawkins and all those kind of people. And so Jesus says, no, that's, you need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. But here's the most compelling witness in the world. It's the love that church of Jesus Christ have for one another. This is when Jesus, when the world sees that, they will be convinced that the Father sent the Son. He says, so that, that the world will know that you have sent me. How will the world know that the Father sent the Son? They're going to look at the church and see what on earth is going on there. But this is a different kind of a crowd. These guys don't all naturally get along. They, they look different, but they love each other. There is a love amongst that group. You have to be able to explain what happened there. They're not gathered by affinity. They're not a hobby club. It's not a, it's not a book club. They're not a wine club. They're not the rotary. We're not together for something like that. We're together for the mission of God, and it's because the Spirit of God has made us a family. Francis Schaeffer, uh, the author, says this, Jesus is giving the world permission to judge whether we are true Christian disciples on the basis of whether we love one another. Jesus is giving the world permission to judge whether we are true Christian disciples on the basis of whether we love one another. You get some people who say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I don't have time for church. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's a biblical impossibility to love Jesus and to not love his church. just is. And I've had this discussion with lots and lots of people. It's just, I, I stay at home. I read my Bible. I listen to worship music. I have a relationship with Jesus. I've been hurt by the church. I don't need to go there. It's like, nope, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Jesus is a healer of hurts. If you hold on to your fence and just say, I'm never ever going to be part of a body again because one of them hurt me and it's just going to be me and Jesus, you may not be part of the body and if you are, you're selling yourself short on what it means to be part of the family. The world is evangelized by the love the church have for one another. The Bible knows absolutely nothing of people who would say they love Jesus and have a relationship with him, but are disconnected from a local expression of that. Last thing, let me say here and drill in on the importance of fellowship together as a family. This one is easy for us to see. Uh, so there's ways that we are with one another and there's different things that you'll take away from that. But I want to press in on this importance of fellowship together. I imagine at your family lunch. Is family lunch still a thing that people do? We do it a little bit, but not very well. Imagine you rock up at your family lunch late, sit down and eat, and you get up and you leave. Great lunch, guys. Amazing. See you. I need to go. Got stuff to do. Imagine that was your regular diet and your regular pattern with your family. A healthy family, there would be an intervention. You know, your mother, your dad, somebody person who cooked the food, the person who's hosting it, whatever, they would sit you down and say, listen, yeah, you were a family. You can't do that. You can't roll in, yeah, time it like just to chow. 
And then as soon as the food's done, high-fiving and you're ducking, you're on your way. That's not what we do as families. Families hang out. We, we talk. We argue. We laugh. We play games. Play, play garden cricket. We do whatever. We talk about the weather and the sport and the proteas and the politics. And Families do family things. and All families do different things. But they spend time together, enjoying one another and being shaped together. They don't, you don't arrive at your family lunch and eat and leave. Now, I'm going to offend some of you. When you arrive at church and you eat and then leave, and that's your only experience of family life as a church, you are missing out and you are contributing to dysfunction in a family. If that's your only experience of the family, you are the person who's rocking up at the family lunch, gulping your food down and gapping it. The church is designed to be a family that lingers together, that arrives early and catches up with people. I had a fat chat with Tom earlier because we were here earlier. We were both serving this morning, but that's besides the point. And I'm going to be here for a while afterwards. Why? Because we're a family and families hang out together and they fellowship and they enjoy one another and they serve each other's needs and they listen out for where they can get involved, who needs help, who needs encouragement, what needs can we serve and just enjoy each other. We enjoy each other differently. I said that already. But I want to encourage you to prioritize, to prioritize fellowship. Imagine one last scenario with me. You leave your family because another family you've heard of down the road have a nicer dining room table and really cool plates, amazing plates. Cutlery is next level, decorations, Kyla's basically just sprinkled her fairy dust all over the place. Looks flipping amazing. And you decide to bin that family and like, I'm going to that family. You should see the setup they have there. It's unbelievable. Your family would think you have lost your head. Now, don't push this analogy too far down the road. But I think the Bible makes a case that church is about people, not about facilities, not about smoke machines, not about how comfortable the chairs are. Not all of those things. The church is about the people. We could all sit on the floor. It would be uncomfortable. I guarantee, I grant that, and especially the older people are thinking, please don't do that. We're not going to do that. Don't worry about that. I want to elevate and say, church is always about people. It's not about the facilities. You don't leave one family to go to another family because they have a nice dining room table. Because they're your family. The attraction of church is always the people. It's always the connections because God has, for a time, for a season, united you to a family so that you can enjoy them, love them, and serve them. And you just find the place, you find your place in the family, and you get stuck in. You get stuck in. At a healthy family lunch, no one puts up their hand and says, you know what, today, and magnanimously saying, I volunteer to wash the dishes. You, you don't volunteer to wash the dishes at a family lunch. Somebody just does it. If you're hosting it, you get on with it. We are slowly, Lord willing, week by week, month by month, rooting out the word volunteer in our church. It's a word I want banned forever in every church. Because family members don't volunteer to do things. They serve one another. Serving comes from identity of belonging and of wanting to serve. We don't have volunteers in the church. You know, like, I'll help you out with your thing. No, it's not your thing. It's, it's our thing. We're a family. 
We serve one another. We don't have volunteers. There's no such thing in the, as volunteers in the church. Is the boys not in the Bible because the concept doesn't exist in the family of God? We need to end. Otherwise, I'm going to get kicked out of the family. Last thing I'll say as we come into communion, we, we become part of the family because God adopts us into his family. No one, no matter how good you think you are, you weren't born into the family of God. You haven't always been part of the family of God. God, in his mercy, adopted you. You were in one family and he adopted you into his family. Not because you were special, not because you were amazing, not because you were the most likely to succeed, but because he's a loving father who set his affection on you and wanted you for his family. And as we come to celebrate communion, that's what we focus on. We just... Our hearts sing and worship when we get you Sunday by Sunday and day by day. Say, God, you have adopted me into your family. I didn't deserve this. There's nothing, nothing in me that contributes to being chosen into this family. And yet here I am. Here I am eternally adopted. God's not winding back the adoption at any point. Those papers are done. You are now a part of his eternal family forever. And this temporary earthly expression of it and as we celebrate communion that's what our hearts are set on today jesus you went to the cross to secure the adoption papers for me so that i could be a part of a family i never ever dreamed i could be part of both to receive love and to give of my best to this family and may god help us to be a missional community a family that lives a church family that lives on mission it's not just about ourselves. It's not just about, oh, it's, it's great for us here. There are millions of people who need Jesus, and they will be convinced and won over to him because we are a family that love one another as we love him. So let's focus our hearts and our minds on him now as we come to communion. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then Dave and the team will be up here. You can come and grab the elements in your own time and return to your chair. Uh, after I've prayed, as the band play for us, let's pray um, together as we come before the Lord. Yeah, Father, it's it's amazing to us uh, fresh this morning that you have made us uh, part of your family. Uh, the ch- the churches and I is an idea, it's a concept, it's a reality, it's a family that we could never in our wildest dreams have thought up the idea of the church. People from every tribe and tongue and nation throughout millennia belonging to you, called and adopted by you because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, united together with one and the same spirit to live on mission for you now in the world and to live eternally, enjoying you and one another for the glory of God. We could never have thought something like that up, but we thank you this morning, Father, for adopting us, for making us yours. We're mindful that there may be some this morning here who amongst us who who wouldn't feel yet like they, they have been adopted. They're part of the family of God, and we thank you that you are graciously speaking to them and working with them and I pray that you would give them grace to respond to a father who's calling them to himself but for those of us who who know you and love you we we do want to ask father that you would give us you would give us as Jesus as you prayed love for one another 
that would make the world sit up and take notice that this is such a compelling family, they would long to be a part of it. That we would have such a God-given love for one another, we would be willing to give of ourselves, to give of our things, to welcome in others, just like you have welcomed us. Thank you that we're part of your, your global family all over the world, that we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world, and what a privilege it's going to be to get to know them and meet them, enjoy eternity with them. But we pray that for us at Parkhurst Community Church, you would help us through the power of the Spirit to be a loving, missional community, that we would express these true family values. And as we've been speaking this morning, where you're putting um, your finger in our lives and onto our hearts of where we can get involved and how we need to relate to each other better or more effectively, that we wouldn't feel any judgment, we wouldn't feel guilt, we would just simply feel provocation and conviction from the Spirit leading us into areas of greater effectiveness and greater ministry to one another so that we may be the healthiest family that we can possibly be for our good and for your glory we ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen.